Welcome to this week's episode of Spoke. Thanks for joining me. Uh, this week we've got filmmaker Robert Galuzzo, as well as L7's bass player Jennifer Finch. And we're here to talk about Analog Love, uh, the latest film by director Robert Galuzzo. Robert sent me this film a few months back, and I really didn't know what to expect um, other than a film about cassette culture and what that culture meant to him. And so I thought it was a really interesting topic to explore now that we're firmly in the digital revolution, but it's ultimately about a lot more. I think this film, you know, had the potential to be kind of a misty-eyed, nostalgic look at another decade, a way of, you know, that we communicated um, way back when. But it actually goes a lot deeper than that, and I think that's a, a credit to, to, to Robert and his team. The film is now streaming on a number of digital platforms and is available on DVD and Blu-ray. Analog Love uh, provides a lot of insights into from a lot of different voices into what made cassette tapes so special and making tape compilations so special. Um, we've got everyone from Jennifer Finch, of course, from L7, who's joined us here, as well as Henry Rollins, uh, the late Kim Shattuck from The Muffs, as well as Money Mark from The Beastie Boys, and a whole slew of others. So this week, we're going to get to the bottom of the ancient art of the mixtape. In keeping with that tradition, I felt like this podcast should have a side A and a side B. So we'll pick up where we left off on next week's episode, i.e. side B. As always, thanks for joining me, and I always appreciate your feedback. I appreciate all the kind words I've gotten so far. And, um, you know, in order for us to keep doing this, we need to keep spreading the word. And, um, you know, we're off to a great start. I just want to keep that momentum going. So please let your friends know about this podcast and what we're doing here. And as always, this episode of Spoke is sponsored by my buddies over at Kachunk Records in Annapolis, Maryland. You should check them out. They're one of the best indie stores on the East Coast, in my opinion. And music is provided by Michael Hampton and Sorob Habibian. This was a really fun episode to do, so enjoy. <laughs> filmmaker of Analog Love, and Jennifer Finch from L7. Hey, thanks so much for joining me, you guys. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Absolutely. And Jennifer, so nice to finally meet you. Um, so we're here to talk about, um, Robert, your film, uh, Analog Love. And this was a film that you sent me a few months back. And it's about, essentially, um, mixtapes. And the sort of, for me, the sort of, you know, what it reminded me of the romance, there's, I, I, or at least in my own head, I have a, there's a sort of romantic uh, vision or uh, view of how I remember making mixtapes. And, um, and you just nailed it. And so the film kind of, 
you know, covers, um, talks to a number of, of different people, including Jennifer, including Jennifer, Henry Rollins, um, Kim Shattuck, um, uh, so many others, and just their memories of, of, of making mixtapes. And I guess the, 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 the sort of general question to ask you both is, um, for those who aren't familiar with what exactly a mixed, a cassette mixtape is, maybe you guys could explain it. Uh, wow. Well, most people don't remember that format, but, but for me, I mean, look, the, the bottom line is that I love, I've always loved music as, as since I was a little kid and I love the idea of sharing music. I love the idea of playing music. It's, it's kind of what connects us all. And I just, I, Joe Madry, who is the writer of Analog Love, we were talking about collaborating on something, some documentary or something, and, and we both have a history kind of in the horror genre. So he kept kind of pushing for us to do something like that. And I was pretty sick and tired of that topic. And I was like, well, if we're going to do something, I'd rather do something music related. And we just got into this story that he was telling me about a friend who um, who was happily married, but got a request from an ex for a mixtape. <laughs> and we immediately both turned into the, no, you don't ask a married man for a mixtape. That's not, you know, and he's like, you understand that that's wrong, right? And it just became this whole interesting, fun dialogue about how uh, it, it meant a lot more, just a physical cassette, making a mix of music meant a lot more in that period. Um, you know, what's, what's interesting, what I love talking to Jennifer about, and everyone's got a different perspective of this. I'm all about the evolution. Like, yeah, I, I love and miss mixtapes, but uh, any form of communication or communicating through music is still the same. It's just evolved and become an interesting thing. Um, Cause you know, I don't want to speak for Jennifer, but what was funny about when I met her was she doesn't really have that much nostalgia for the tapes. Like, yeah, it was a part of, um, you know, uh, um, when she was in a band and all, but, um, and you know, and the same thing with Kim Shattuck, Kim basically said she hated fucking tapes. <laughs> She's like, so much better when we got CDs, like, ah, how did you guys like this garbage? But, but that wasn't the point. The point is that I really think there's something very special about even when you, I mean, when I was a teenager, sitting down with a seven inch and playing it for somebody, being like, you have to hear this. Yeah. And that's what we were trying to capture. I, I don't give a shit about the format itself and being like, I've had like, like audiophile nerds, like say that I'm not technical enough in the doc. And I'm like, but that's <laughs> not what it's about. I don't care about the format. It's about communicating through music. Yeah. So anyway, that's my two cents about it. <laughs> Jennifer, what, uh, what was your take on making mixtapes? Well, for me, it was just purely about bootlegging and getting music for free. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think like uh, Rob came at it from a really interesting perspective and the idea of that uh, for people to be able to express themselves through their choices of uh, arrangement and songs that they chose to put onto a blank cassette tape. So, I mean, to answer your question, we're talking about an era when you could buy blank cassette tapes and then have some kind of physical device in your home that you would put music in order onto a, a cassette tape and even decorate the exterior of the tape and give it to other people as sort of like a gesture of like an emotional gesture, fun gesture. And in Analog Love, the focus is really on the communication and the meaning behind the mix. Right, right. 
Yeah, I had forgotten um, as a kid in the 80s, like I had forgotten um, even doing them until I watched the film. I mean, I occasionally would think about it, but it really brought me back to how much thought and how just intimate that process was. And, um, you know, I can remember making them for, you know, girls that I had crushes on or, or um, you know, friends that, you know, I wanted to expose different music to. Um, and it was, you know, I, I always saw them as like, a, I always tried to put some sort of even then, like some, there was always like some weird musical arc, like um, like a narrative arc that I was trying to, you know, get across. Um, I don't know if anyone ever understood it, but um, is that something that when you two would make mixtapes, I mean, did that much thought go into it or were you more or less just going like, hey, these are some great songs and I want to oh. share it with you? Yeah, no, I put a lot of thought into every single one. But what was great about it was it was always individual thought because it's who who you're making it for and you kind of understand their tastes or their likes and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, one of the funniest things, and I don't know if the exact quote is in the doc, but basically Henry Rollins said, like, no one will love your mixtape more than you. Like, no matter That's how right. hard you try, you're like, oh, she's going to love this. It's like, no, you're the one who's going to be the biggest fan of it because no one will ever exactly see it the way you see it. Um, but you know, I, I put a lot, I always put a lot of thoughts. I, I still do versions of it now, which is more like playlists or right. basically I, I do a birthday mix, which every year on my birthday, I pick a topic and then I give that out to everybody is just for fun. Um, yeah, I still love doing it. Jennifer, do you, um, do you ever make mixtapes anymore? Or you just, are you more about like Spotify playlists or something like that? Yeah, I was playlists the second playlists happen. Yeah, yeah I've always yeah. been a digital thinker. Yeah, digital user for as as long as I can remember. The second I could convert a CD to an MP3, but that does not mean that I have not. Excuse me, I need to yell at a small dog right now. Sure. <laughs> okay, small dog has been extracted from the premises. <laughs> You know, there is something about the compilation. I mean, we're talking about the mixtape being like a form of communication. And I think for where Rob's initial come from was that it's somehow for guys to express their feelings to women, right? But uh, yeah. my experience and my experience being younger was then that it was the way that um, girls would break up with boys, like they'd make their breakup mixtape. Yeah, so I had a few of those. That's just the experience. Um, you know, but it went on to sort of be like a, hey, these are great bands from Austin and I'm going to make a compilation of my favorite bands or these, you know, are great bands from New York and they might be really diverse, but I'm going to collect them together in one place. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I went through the same thing. I mean, it was, a, it was like a painstaking process and I probably put way too much as I do a lot overthought everything but but yeah i mean i i i would make them for girls that i had crushes on or i would make them for guys that i would want to be in a band with and like hey i figured like if they can't pass this test of you know 
the stuff that I like, then yeah, it's like, yeah, we're not meant to be in a band together. So, um, but there is a kind of romanticism about the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's not just romantic. It's, you know, and part of what we touch on the doc, like, you know, Jennifer DJs occasionally. And to me, that's like an an evolution. If you're going to play music and try to get people dancing or responding, you're going to kind of feel, all right, what do I hit them with first? And, you know, how do we get people active? And you might even change what songs you would play in a DJ setting. Um, You mentioned bands, um, Leslie Shino from the Red Ants, who's also in the doc, you know, she was, she explains like, sometimes that's how, you know, you make a tape for your bandmates and be like, it's kind of what I'm thinking. Like we should try to do this kind of stuff or that kind of stuff. So it's, it's interesting how, again, it's different forms of communication, but it's basically, uh, there's a lot of love in all of it. I I mean, to me, it's like, you're sharing what you love with other people and trying to get them to see it that same way. So. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was actually like something that I had to, I mean, I don't know about YouTube, but I had to really work up the courage, you know, to give someone a a mixtape, you know, because I would spend so much time on like, you know, the right songs in the right order. And um, depending on who I was giving it to, it was, you know, there were sort of, uh, you know, I mean, there were messages throughout the, throughout the tape. So, um, well, what's guys... funny to me is that what's funny to me is the reaction. It basically, guys would make a mixtape with all this thought, and and um, you know, it's kind of a punchline in the doc because like Henry talks about how much it meant to him, and then we cut to Jennifer, who's like, "Well, you know, looked at track listing and thought that's kind of cool, I guess." Like, like right. getting it was almost not as special. Yeah. And Kim said the same thing. She's like, "Oh, my boyfriends would be like, listen to this." I'm like, "Your taste sucks." No, <laughs> you know. So I kind of found it funny the that guys were a lot more sensitive about it actually. <laughs> you yeah, know, that yeah. was one perception. Did Rob, you know what? You, I don't think you addressed this or I don't know, but did you ask everybody if they ever found out that they appeared on someone else's mixtape and in what context? Oh, you know what? I I had uh, never thought to do that. But that's an excellent question. Yes, there we go. That's how the sequel starts. <laughs> Yeah. If we all had the same equipment right now and we were still able to make, um, you know, tape compilations for, for folks, mixtapes, would we do it? I mean, was it a time and a place? Was it, was it specific to that like 30 years ago or, or is it something that we can still pass along I, I i feel like i've become lazy and i'm not sure if i would do the tape thing anymore um like i just you know i asked myself like maybe that was just a time and a place you know and i, I don't know if that's the case anymore yeah it was definitely a time and place sort of thing only because uh even even while i was working on this uh shout out to my friend uh ryan uh uh, Ryan Rawlings, who I, I know I've met a few times at the Chattanooga Film Festival, he knew I was making this. So I showed up one year and he made me a mixtape of all his favorite songs, like a, an actual cassette. And I was just so blown away because there's so many great songs on it that the following year I was like, all right, well, now I have to surprise him and do the same thing. So I did physically make him a mixtape uh, a year or two ago. 
and it was a pain in the ass. <laughs> and I had to get a, a boom box from my brother's place. And the first tape I tried didn't work properly. Yeah. Um, you know, I did it all CD to tape. Uh, and he appreciated it. And I went with 60 minutes so that it wasn't as uh, a long a commitment. Um, and I'm proud of the tape. I think it came out really well. Um, but no, I actually kind of like doing my mix CDs better and my playlists and all that stuff. Uh, the tape is a very special thing. I also forgot um, how basically when we started the project, it was kind of like, all right, let's talk. Let me let me start by talking to musicians that I grew up loving and admired. I, I thought that was a good starting point, as well as the fact that I worked at record stores for my whole life and most recently Amoeba in, in Hollywood. So a lot of the people in it are from Amoeba because... I was like, let me start there because once you start, it's a thing. It exists. You have motivation to finish it. Um, and uh, long story short, as we were putting it together, the the last element that came together was me helping Hazel, who was kind of our centerpiece, make a tape for her dad. Um, the initial cut that we put together, that was not a part of it. And we had done a little tiny snippet with her that was in the opening of the movie and um, my producer, Buzz, who shot everything with me, was like, you know, we should do something with Hazel because she's she just got that charm and she loves music. Yeah. And and so we went back and just spent a whole day shooting with her. And what was interesting was that I missed so much by doing that, meaning I forgot about what if side A ends a little earlier than it should. Um, you know, all the mistakes that you make while making a tape. And, and it sure. was, again, people our age could watch it and understand what it is. But now people her age uh can see it and understand it a little bit through you know her perspective so she's the daughter of uh trey many from starflyer 59 as well as other things i know he's a yeah. talent buyer and yeah. things like that um he's my best friend's brother-in-law <laughs> oh okay yeah. so when you started like whose idea was that to sit down with her and go hey let's make a mixtape for your dad I don't want to well, give away uh, too much of the film, but yeah, yeah. It was Buzz Wallach, who is my uh, producer and DP on this. And I've shot hundreds of, you know, Blu-ray special features with him. Yeah. We definitely um, again, made- it was, it was, we fell a little too into the talking heads thing, which I'm fine with in documentaries, but I wanted a few threads. And so towards yeah. the last 20, 30 minutes, you see father, son, um, father, daughter, yeah. couple. I tried to find pairs of people um that could tell their story and expand it a little more and make people understand exactly what this connection is and again we only did a little thing with them and and buzz saw it and was like we need to like we need to expand on them specifically there's something there that quite frankly i didn't see initially um but when we spent that day with her um yeah it all i mean we got all that footage that ended up being the backbone the heart and the ending <laughs> uh, yeah on plans for those who haven't seen it yet, though you should, like right now, but it's a through line um, between um, his, uh, you know, Trey's daughter and Robert, and you're working with her to try and make the, a mixtape for her dad, who's very much about mixtapes because he's of that generation. And she initially has no a clue about mixtapes, but clearly a music fan. And um, that's a through line through the film. And that's eventually how the, the film ends. And it's a very 
poignant ending and I'll leave it at that. But did you um, see that? Like, was that your, like, I, I can totally understand going like, oh, okay, like this is a great little sub line here. We can, you know, capture with, with his daughter, but what were you, I mean, when you saw the results, I mean, were you expecting those guys? I mean, what were you expecting? I mean, like, I'm sure you could say the same thing when you've done your docs. It was a beautiful, happy accident. Because yeah. originally, again, we had a version that that didn't have that story, but we had Chris Carmina, who's my old uh, Amoeba manager, and his dad. And I thought that was a really sweet story. So that was kind of the original ending. And not that that's not good enough, because I, I get choked up seeing photos of, of baby Chris sitting on his dad's lap, listening to music, and then watching the two of them talk now. Um, but I felt like I bet there's another story just like that, that we're just, we didn't get to yet. Um, yeah, as soon as we shut the, the stuff with Hazel and Trey is the last thing we shot. As soon as we, I mean, it's all one take when you see the ending. We're yeah. like, that's the ending of the movie. Like there's yeah. nothing left to be done. I, we're not going to be able to top that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when we put it all together, it was, it was, you know, it was, it was really beautiful. So Jennifer, when you started uh, first putting together L7, did you guys make mixtapes for each other? I mean, it kind of serves like when you're starting a band or a friendship or whatever, it's almost like a litmus test, right? Yeah, we definitely made mixtapes for each other. We made van tapes when we went on tour that reflected like our musical style as a group. I mean, it was kind of a um, a weeding out. Well, process, in the case right? I don't know, in the case I mean, of other bands, but in the case of L Seven, we have a lot of diverse influence. Mid- you know, that ranges from garage to punk to pop. Um, so, you know, right. you'd, we'd make mixtapes with like white lines right. that would go into Black Flag. I mean, we had a diversity there. So, for us, that kind of mix and finding those kind of contrasts were were the most fun. And L7 still has those kind of tastes to this day, even through time. How important was the cassette artwork to you both? Did Was that something that, because I know for me, I was like too lazy to do the artwork. I was like, fuck it. But I'm going to, I'll hear the song titles and hear the bands, see what you think. But I know for a lot of people, artwork was a big part of it. You know, when you look at Henry Rollins and you see, I mean, this man, I mean, I, you know, I wish I had saved. There's countless things I didn't save. In fact, I, I saved very little from, from that period. And I wish I had, um, but he, uh, you know, he was very specific. Uh, some of his tapes had artwork on them that, you know, self, you know, you just create cut and paste kind of shit. Um, did you guys ever focus on that or were you like more about the music uh i was more about the music uh, which is ironic because i always love to draw but i, I didn't go yeah. too overboard i was just so self-conscious of my handwriting being legible on a tape um that i would occasionally draw little things to it but i was super impressed with people i went to high school with and even people there in the doc that showed me their tapes and just how elaborate they went and like i, I always loved when people would cut out stuff from magazines and make collages because growing up long before the internet, I was a huge fan of zines, especially music scenes. 
And so that aesthetic reminded me yeah. of, it was almost like getting like a mini zine that had music on it. Like that, those are my favorite mixtapes because uh, they kind of had that, that DIY element that uh, I was reminded of from mixtapes. But um, funny thing about Henry, because yes, you see his tapes in the dock, but he's one of the few people that I've ever met that has literally saved everything they've ever had from their entire life like there's everything. there's like two hours of looking through his temperature controlled media room and like there's even like binders that have like every black flag flyer <laughs> from like every show and i was just kind of like it, it 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 hurt my brain quite honestly because uh it, it was impressive that he saved everything yeah yeah I wish I had just done like 10% of what he's done, you know. Um, what about, like, did you guys ever make a tape for anyone? I know I did. Did you ever make a tape for anyone where you were hoping for a particular response, like your expectations were up here, and then you gave it to them, and they were like, yeah, cool, thanks, and then you never heard back? Yes, I sent Henry Rollins a tape. He probably just has it in his archives. He probably has it on his wall right now. Yeah. It's definitely there. If if it does exist, yeah, it's there. You're fucking with me. Yeah. What <laughs> Jennifer's tape. <laughs> <laughs> There's it's funny because my first my first job as a teen was at a Baskin Robbins. Um so every time I see that photo of uh, Henry and Ian McKay at Hagen Dazs, I get all excited. I'm like, that's where I started too. Oh. Um but yeah, I started at Baskin Robbins and the, the, one of the girls I worked with at Baskin Robbins was, had completely different musical tastes than me, but we had a little radio. And so we would take turns playing stuff and I can, I, I don't know if she's the first, but I kind of think she was the first person I made a mix for because she started to dig some of like the rock, you know, it was early nineties. So it was like a lot of the rock stuff. So I'm pretty sure I made her a tape that had, that probably had Nirvana and L7 and all those bands on it. Um, and it completely changed her life because she was listening to a lot of like, you know, late eighties, early nineties, like rap and stuff like that. And what's funny is like, we lost touch for 20 some odd years and we recently reconnected to the magic of social media. Um, and she still listens to all that music that I introduced it to back then. So it's kind of interesting to think like, wow, we crossed paths as kids, literally like 15 year old kids. And she still loves the thing that she still loves the most is a lot of the music that I had played for her back then. And there's something, I don't know, you never think of it. It doesn't, it's just second nature. You're just sharing something you love with somebody. And the fact that I had that impact on this person that after all these years we reconnected and that's still what she listens to is, is pretty, uh, pretty amazing. All right. Jennifer, did you ever have anything like that happen to you? No, I worked at Swenson's. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is an aspect I think of that I can identify more with, with the, the mixtape as like an initiation to be able right. to share something that you love. Also the kind of music, like where we come from was hard to acquire. It wasn't played on That's the right. radio. It, you know, it, it came in weird packages on plastic and had to be played on a thing. So it was like heart record player. It's hard to, uh, you know, imagine at a time when something was inaccessible, which comes back to your question of like, would the mixtape come back? And I think yeah. part of the mixtape besides it, the art on the cover and the, 
the, the way it's presented, you know, the way the songs are structured, it, it's, music is so accessible now that it doesn't have the rare property that it did at one time. Yeah. I mean, there were mixtapes. I have mixtapes with the versions of songs from bands that they don't even have those versions anymore because maybe they made a hundred copies of that vinyl and it's just gone. I mean, it's, yeah. this is an era of when material, I like, you know, speaking about, oh, I wish I had what Henry has. What Henry has is a huge responsibility, a lot of maintenance that's yeah. never gonna pay for itself really as much as we think yeah. of how valuable it is. He's doing like a service in a sense, you know, I too have a huge collection and it's just piled into my garage and and if it I, I every day I have to hold the space that if it goes it goes you know it, it I have to be able to let go of it because I don't have the resources to maintain it that way and yeah there is a sense of, of music with that and also the thing that we don't there's also you know people are more visual now we have visual language and I, I and I think that's just a natural cultural progression so audio communication isn't what it used to be back then. Right, right. Yeah, I feel like if I had the opportunity to make a mixtape, I'm not sure, I don't know. I, to me, it feels like a time and a place. Um, I'm not sure if I would, it wouldn't mean this, it wouldn't feel the same to me doing it. Um, I love discovering a new band and sharing it with people. That'll never end that, you know, that's just, I love that. Right. But, but also it, think back, we were what, 18, 15, yeah. people our age weren't allowed to do that. Like back then, that would just be, creepy, right. you know? So, I mean, every generation needs to define how they want to communicate and what means they want to. And then we just sit around and wax nostalgia about it. And, you know, I don't know. <laughs> 